0: Most animals are special, many are amazing, and some of them are just wonderful. Others are so incredible, they're breathtaking. One of those animals is the orangutan. Welcome back to Zoo Notable everyone, Um, I'm PJ and This week is Orangutan Caring Week. I am so excited. I've just, I picked up a book right before we moved out here to Hawaii called Love, The Orangutan. I got it at a place, of all places, I got it at Ikea. Um, And uh, again, I saw this book and I was like, oh my gosh, of course, if you've been to Ikea, they have really great furniture at a uh, a very low cost. But then I saw that this book, not only, again, with low cost, has some really interesting information, some cute little pictures about orangutans, but even the the paper, again, that has the FSC, that little label that I tell all my visitors that they can uh, look for, the FSC, that means it's Forest Stewardship Cer- Council Certified, and that means that this book has not been um, does not have a negative impact on animals like orangutans or animals I work with now, the elephants. So I picked it up, and again, in honor of uh, Orangutan carrying wig I decided to read it. It's so cute. It's a little bit of it's a little bit of a kids book, learning book about orangutans. It's called "Love the Orangutan" by Stefan Casta and Anna Victorison. Victorson. Victorson, Victorson. Um, and so to. To talk about this book and to honor or to learn a little bit more about orangutans in general, I actually thought about sharing a special telling my story episode when I got a chance to work with orangutans at Woodland Park Zoo in Seattle. So, we're going to talk about what do you do when an orangutan spits in your face? It was only my third day working in the primate unit, and I was immediately thrown a curveball. Hank, the primary keeper for the orangutans, walked into the prep kitchen with this slightly panicked expression. My volunteer called in sick, and Lisa is stuck with, in the gorillas with the procedure. And I, I know you haven't been here that long and really aren't trained in the orangutan section, but can you help me out? I need to feed out breakfast and train with Haran. I just, I can't work with him, Maladi, and with Chinta. I just... Need you can, you, can you feed Chinta for me? I wiped my hands and stopped preparing the fruits and veggies for the small monkeys, the lion tailed macaques, and lesser apes, those siamangs. I didn't know much about taking care of orangutans. I barely felt confident with the smaller primates, but I knew that Hank couldn't not successfully feed three orangutans all together while hoping to work with one by himself. "'Yeah,' I stammered. "'I'm sure my uncertainty was playing on my face. You, you, "'You don't have to do anything. "'Just feed her in the corner away from Melody and Haran.'" I breathed a sigh of relief. "'Just feed a That sounded easy enough. When I moved to the Pacific Northwest after a literal lifetime on the East Coast, I felt I finally belonged. I sometimes refer to Seattle's Space Needle as the Mothership, which finally called me home. There were plenty of zoos in the area and a couple aquariums, but I had my sights set on Woodland Park Zoo. It's a quaint neighborhood community on the outskirts of Seattle, Washington. Now, I was elated when management offered me a temporary keeper position to me, which I considered a blessing. Temporary keepers were like substitutes. They were called in to cover someone who's sick or injured or, as in this particular case of me working in the primates unit, covering a zookeeper's maternity leave. Being a temporary keeper reminded me of being a husbandry assistant back when I first entered the field with marine mammals. After 10 years experience and being 100% responsible for the well-being of an animal, it was kind of nice not having any training responsibilities while I got to build up my reputation and work with shiny new animals. Working at a zoo versus an aquarium or marine facility was a little bit of a culture shock. If I'd been working with marine animals, There is no way anyone would have asked me to help feed dolphins on my third day. I developed a particular work ethic as a result of many years trying to prove myself in the beginning of my career. So I think I impressed my supervisors. Honestly, my work ethic was more centered around the idea that I didn't want to be the newbie who screwed up with the other animals. No one wants to be that guy who reinforced the animals even though they didn't meet the criteria or... They overlook a sign that an animal was frustrated or they didn't even notice a precursor for aggression. Well, I didn't want to be that. So I was content with just setting up enclosures for snakes, turtles, and lizards in the reptile unit and just cleaning the holding areas and main exhibits for wallabies in the free-flight aviary while keepers trained and fed the animals. Then after seven months of temporary keeper bliss, I was asked to cover the primate unit. I must have looked like a deer in headlights when management told me. Oh, don't worry, they assured me. You'll never be assigned to work in the orangutan area, just the other primates, the lion-tailed macaques and the sea-amongs. I don't think that helped my nerves. what about training? Don't you have, like, specific guidelines for training animals over Asian tropical forests? Oh, they said you don't have to do any training, but we know that you love enrichment and that you can perform to your heart's content. The animals need your creativity. Confident I could be a valuable asset in this regard, I figuratively packed my bags and moved to the primate section of the zoo. But now Hank needed my help for something dangerously close to training. (laughs) To be honest, every single time you step up to an animal, you are training them. But with animals like orangutans, again, these extremely smart and a specialized staff assigned and specifically trained to work with them, even feeding a small meal can completely change their behavior and maybe even wreck a training process. So I was really nervous. The orangutans at the zoo were notoriously smart. The older male, Tuan, was featured in several nonfiction books about animal intelligence. And the females were no less notorious in their antics demonstrating orangutan intelligence. Would I screw up the orangutans' training if I did anything wrong? As Hank and I entered the orangutan keeper area, Hank listed some quick do's and don'ts when working with Chinta, one of the older females. Feed her the oranges first, those are her favorite, and then end the session with bananas. She loves bananas second most and will stick around longer if she knows that you have some in your bucket. I nodded, letting all that information sink in. Oranges first, bananas last. And don't worry about behaviors. If she leaves you, just kind of give me a heads up and I'll try and get her back to you. You can call her, but she's not gonna listen, you being the newbie and all. Being called a newbie actually didn't offend me. This was the nature of being a newbie. When a new keeper starts working with new animals, there is an often a not-so-grace period where the animals do almost the exact opposite of what the trainer asks. I figured Tan not responding to me on the first day was par for the course, which is why Hank suggested I start with her favorite food, those oranges. Entice her with the good stuff and keep her busy until the end with the promise of bananas. Hank's suggestion was pretty sound, so it was his recommendation not to ask for any behaviors. Make it easy and make it awesome for Chinta just to hang out with me. And outside the bedrooms, Hank continued, We keep it as quiet as possible while staff is actually training, so no talking to each other, just to the orangutans. Cross-talking can be viewed as confusing and upsetting to them. Hank unlocked the door and remembered one final piece of advice. Oh, don't look directly at the orangutans. They don't respond well to direct eye contact, especially from strangers. The orangutan unit was one of the most complex exhibits I'd ever seen. The main habitat where guests could view the orangutans had two indoor areas and two large outdoor areas. There were five orangutans, all related in some manner, so the staff kept them separated into two groups to eliminate chaos between the males Haran and Tawan, as well as ensure Tawan didn't breed with his twin sister, Chinta. The rings could be let out into either area, but only from the back holding areas, which really tripped me out. They were different from any other backholding I'd ever seen. Rather than being behind the scenes, the holding areas were actually located under the main exhibits. Tunnels led from the exhibits to underground sleeping quarters, four large bedrooms with two sleeping platforms each. Tawan and Bella shared two bedrooms, while Chinta, Malati, and Haran shared the other two. The five orangutans stood at absolute attention, all eyes on me, when we approached the bedrooms. Hank gave Tawan and Bella a piece of apple each and told them he'd to be right back. They seemed to understand this concept and turned to snuggle in their beds with their platforms covered with hay and burlap sacks, content that Hank acknowledged them and gave them a little snack. Maladi and Haran also positioned themselves in a perfect spot for Aunt Hank to feed them while he worked on Haran's tooth cleaning. It's always impressive to see trainers working with more than one animal. It's a delicate balance of stationing one animal and rewarding them for just sitting there patiently and focusing on the animal being trained. I waited for Hank's signal that he was good, but Chinta got my attention first. Before Hank could even feed out his first piece of fruit to Miladi and Haran, Chinta took a large sip of water from her drinker, looked at me, and spit the water directly into my face. I had to give her some credit. That orangutan had impeccable aim. She hit me squarely between the eyes. It was hard not to react to the water, but I managed to stifle a cry. Chinta's behavior is the epitome of how animals treat and react to substitute or temporary keepers' behavior. Testing their new keepers just to see what they would do. And make no mistake, Chinta was definitely testing me. I looked at Hank for the quickest of moments, and he stared back at me. His eyes were wide and the deepest of apologies. He had forgotten one tiny tidbit of information for me. What to do when a orangutan spits water in my face? So what do I do? A female orangutans only weigh about 80 to 90 pounds, but just because I was bigger did not mean I was the boss. Besides, what was I going to do? Spank? Chinta? First off. No, punishment is never considered an option with any animal. Second, there's like this, you know, thick mesh barrier between us. And third, again, no, who would think to spank an orangutan? So with Hank's instructions not to talk with the orangutans present, even Hank felt helpless to assist or provide insight on how to deal with the situation. So this got me thinking, what do trainers do when an animal, quote unquote, misbehaves? A lot of times, an animal simply makes a mistake caused by misunderstanding our cues. But once in a while, it's purposeful, like Chinta deliberately and accurately spitting water in my face. Most people might suggest that we ignore the behavior. And while ignoring certainly isn't punishment, it's not exactly the right answer either. Because some animals, particularly the creatures who thrive on attention from their trainers, view being ignored. As a punishment, they may act poorly to it. Ignoring behavior can lead to escalation. Like, ignoring the dolphins during my checkout dives with Lily wasn't encouraged. As Jay said, don't ignore, ignore them. As it led to escalating dangerous behaviors, such as pulling regulars out of mouth, masks off faces, and more aggressive interactions. Despite my background in not ignoring the animals, my first inclination to having an orangutan spit water in my face was to ignore Chinta. But again, that's not quite the right reaction. I wasn't concerned about Chinta acting aggressively toward me. It wasn't like she was going to drag me into her bedroom in retaliation to me ignoring her. But pretending she hadn't done anything at all wasn't the answer. Ignoring was no different from a timeout punishment, and it likely wouldn't stop the behavior. So let me ask you a question. Have you ever tried ignoring unruly children? How does that usually work? Maybe you can carry on your work while chaos unfolds around you, but it doesn't actually stop the behavior. It's why moms around the world have perfected the look. Moms don't ignore bad behavior and neither do animal trainers. Instead of ignoring Chinta, I decided to not react. I kept my gaze down, obeying Hank's instructions to avoid direct eye contact. Just because I couldn't make eye contact didn't mean I didn't, couldn't look at the orangutan. I kept my gaze at Chinta's chest and got nailed with another squirt of water, this time right on the kisser. I got a little orangutan spit in my mouth, but I refused to even wipe my face. Any movement different from the position I was in right now could inadvertently reinforce Chinta to spit more water at me. Chinta prepared for attack number three, leaning down to take another sip of water, but she stopped mid-drink. I was stone cold, keeping my eyes away from hers, but decidedly not ignoring her. I continued to look at her chest without reacting. Chinta sat up. She actually looked over in Hank's direction, who was still gazing at me slack-jawed in a wordless apology. Then Chinta did the most remarkable thing. She sat down on her spot and held out her hand for a breakfast fruit. I glanced over at Hank for the briefest second to catch him nodding, my signal that it was good to feed Chinta. I gave the small orangutan her orange slices first. Chinta played with the oranges exactly as a small child— The orangutans, like most animals, don't eat the rind, so she put the oranges in her mouth with the rind (laughs) facing out. Then she opened her mouth to show me her orange grin. I couldn't help but laugh. The rest of the session went smoothly. Hank finished with her training, and he signaled me to finish feeding the bananas so we could leave. As soon as we were out of the orangutans' earshot, Hank launched in a rapid-fire series of apologies and praise. Oh my God, I am so... (laughs) So sorry about that. I forgot to warn you. Chinta does that to everyone on their first feed. I should have warned you. I'm so sorry, but that was... You did perfect. I didn't realize you knew about LRS. How did you know about that? That's the first time I've seen Chinta accept someone so quickly. It's usually about two or three sessions of spitting water constantly before she eases up. I smiled at the confidence boost that Hank just gave me. Well, I explained, I figured it might be... Not the totally correct situation with orangutans, but in training, what we call that neutral response is better than no response. Right on, Hank commended commended me again. Well, you are welcome to feed orangutans anytime. So again, in honor of Orangutan Caring Week, I'm sharing one of my stories working with orangutans. The very first time I ever worked with orangutans. And uh, that is a story also about... How the LRS kind of works. So LRS, if you're not familiar, is the least reinforcing scenario. I know, nerdy words with trainer PJ. Um, so I, on my journey, I kind of felt that was nerdy. That wasn't exactly what I wanted to do with me when I am working on myself. So I created a new acronym, a new um, a new play on words that I call ACDC. And I'm going to relate this to uh, our journey in helping orangutans as well, especially with, again, the help of this book, Love the Orangutan, by Stephen Costa and Anna Victorison. Um, So I call it ACDC. And uh, in training the LRS is, again, it's like a three-second non-response. And again, I really reiterate, it's not an ignore. And one of the reasons I also would say it's not to ignore is and as a safety thing, if you were to ignore an animal that you're in the water with, or again, if you're working with elephants that can easily hit you or drag you in or do something um, pretty detrimental to your health, you don't want to ignore them. You just don't want to respond to that negative or that uh, that behavior that you didn't want them to do. So they created the LRS, it's the least reinforcing thing that they can do in the situation that lets the animal know that's not correct and then move on. But for me, um, again, it was it's kind of hard for my brain to wrap around this, uh, just being that nerdy word. So I created ACDC and this what me, that means is uh, I'm going to acknowledge the behavior that I did or didn't do, I'm gonna acknowledge it, so not ignore it. Then I'm gonna show myself some compassion. That's again the, the big thing that we often miss is that we beat ourselves up when we make a mistake. So I'm gonna acknowledge it, I made a mistake, but then I'm gonna show myself some compassion. Um, so again, common humanity, this is something that lots of people may do or you know, it, it's, it's okay, it's okay to be human, it's okay to make a mistake. And the reason it's okay to make the mistake is the second two letters DC means data collection. So I'm going to use that instance to learn from it. To everything's everything I do is an experiment. It's just like a scientist. I'm going to that experiment didn't go the way I wanted to. So I'm going to collect some data. I'm going to do some data collecting, and I'm going to learn from that instance. So. That's again, that's how I've been living my life in a lot of the ways. If I have a bad day, I ACDC it. I again acknowledge it. Wow, I uh I didn't behave to the you know the quality of 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 what I what I would like to. And I I was about to say expect myself to, but just what I had hoped I would do. Um but you know, it's okay. You are human. Uh we have we have desires, we have, you know, wants, um, things happen, temptation happens. It's okay. It's okay to make those mistakes, because we're going to learn from it. And this is what I learned from today. Um, again, and I write a lot of those things down. In my gratitude journal, or in my regular journal, I have my wins for for the day. And at the very bottom, I have needs work. And again, it's not like this is you what you are failed at. It's just... This is that data collection. I'm like, what do I need to focus on? And we're going back to this book, Love the Orangutan. We're going back to my story with the orangutan um, and how I learned to take care of myself. So uh, what I liked about Stephen Costa, he shares how this book made him angry and sad when he realized how badly we treat these amazing animals. Uh, when I see how we're destroying their fantastic rainforest to grow palm oil. And it's one of the first books that I've read in a long time that directly talk about palm oil. Um, this is Why Are Orangutans Endangered? Uh, they talk about the deforestation. Uh, that uh, Borneo has existed for more than 100 million years, and every minute, every minute, an area the size of 35 football pitches disappears. I'm thinking they're thinking the soccer fields. <laughs> this, is, uh, this is written um, for, uh, in Sweden, so, uh, or adapted from Sweden. So I believe that would be the, the soccer, what, we, what Americans call soccer. But that's a lot. 35 soccer pitches every minute. That's crazy. And a lot of that is being uh, done by palm oil. Um, People want to get, this is what Stephen Costa says, people want to get rid of those forests so they can grow palm trees that contain palm oil. Huge areas of the rainforest have been cut down to make room for row after row of palm trees. And so on the next page, he talks about ways that we can protect the uh, orangutans by don't buy palm oil. And he even has a part that says um, certified palm oil uh, should mean that the palms have been grown on land that wasn't rainforest before. But then he also mentions in some countries people have stopped buying palm oil and several store chains have started taking products of palm oil and um, off their shelves regardless because uh, some environmentalists are doubtful about all palm oil and say that it's hard to be sure where it was grown. So again, we're wanting to care about orangutans. It's orangutan a caring week. And palm oil isn't just, I mean, let's be honest, it's in everything. It's in it's in at least 80% of our processed foods. It's in our makeup, it's in our health and beauty products, it's in some of our pet food. So it's really, really hard to avoid. Um, my one way I do avoid it is by not eating any processed or not buying processed foods at all. I try and get ingredients that will make those processed foods. So I make it myself rather than just going ahead and buying it. Last week I made some um, ice cream out of bananas. My goodness, it was delicious. Again, so you can still have your cake and eat it too and not impact orangutans. And what does this have to do with ACDC? Well, we're human, folks. We're not perfect. Sometimes I forget to read a label. Sometimes I do want that processed food, or sometimes I'm out and about and I'm not in a place where I can make my own food, so I do grab a little bit of processed food. and may have a little snack. And I may forget to check the labels, and uh, then later on I read the labels, and I'm like, "Shoot, this has palm oil in it." Well, I'm can ACDC that I can again acknowledge it. I bought some processed food; um, it has palm oil in it. It was, I was hungry. You hear my show is self-compassion. I was hungry, and it was in front of me, and I had a moment of weakness, and then use as data collection. Well, uh, I. Again, I'm reminded this instance that, uh, that a lot of food has palm oil in it. So uh, when I'm looking at this particular type of food again, maybe it was a protein bar, um, maybe it was some chips. And I can say, just reiterate to double check the ingredients. Just learn from that mistake. And then as I was talking about uh, last week with Bill... Knauer and his and uh, everyone has what it takes. There no. So we we were talking about at the beginning. There is no such thing as failure. It's either win or learn, and that's what the ACDC really is all about. That's what again, orangutan spitting in my face really honestly taught me. There is no failure. We either win or we learn. We have showing some, uh, acknowledge what we did, show ourselves some compassion. And use some data collection. This AC/DC that, and again, if you're a, if you're a rock star, if you like listening to uh, listening to ac again, I call it, let's get a little thunderstruck <laughs> with that. But happy orangutan carrying week, everyone! If you have the opportunity, if your zoo has orangutans, this is a great opportunity to visit the zoo, learn a little bit more about these incredible. Incredible animals. And if you like to uh, learn a little bit more about Love the Orangutan, again by Stephen or Stephen Costa, um, it actually bought this book, as I mentioned, from IKEA. Very cheap IKEA book, um, made from sustainable sources. Like uh, they are committed to making sure that their products are not having the best impact possible. So there was a book made from sustainable sources about orangutans it's actually a really neat little kids book to learn about these incredible animals and also what we can do to help protect them again thanks for coming by for this latest zoo notable Uh, we're coming up to the season finale next week i have a really special guest uh one of my one of my mentors one of my favorite people favorite zoos i've ever been to from the dublin zoo um, it is Jerry Crichton and his book Raised by the Zoo. So tune in next time. And remember, everyone, when we feel better, we can do better. Catch you all next time.